0: Have to use it today. (laughs) Turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, as we are working our way through the New Testament. And we'll pick it up in verse 37. I hope you allow me the liberty without bringing too much confusion. We have the parallel passages that are important, and I want to utilize them this morning. The parallel passage to this story is Matthew 17, verse 14. So find Matthew 17, verse 14 through 23, and then Mark's gospel. How many fingers do you have? you have enough fingers for that? Mark's gospel, chapter 9, verse 14 through 32. And so... As I've said before, when you're reading through the Gospels, it's good to get the parallel passages because some of the writers uh, add more detail. And I don't know about you, but I'd like to to get the whole picture, all the puzzles, pieces of the puzzles, to put together to give you a a fuller picture of what really went on in that moment of time because there's a lot to learn from it. So let's begin here in... Luke's Gospel in verse 37. And I'll read through these scriptures and then take off from there. Now it happened on the next day, which as you remember last week was the mountain of transfiguration. So it's the next day when they had come down from the mountain that a great multitude met him. Suddenly a man from the multitude cried out saying, Teacher, I have implore you, look upon my son for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth. And he departs from him with great difficulty, bruising him. And so I implored your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. And Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. And as he was still coming, the demon threw him down and convulsed him. And then Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the child and gave him back to his father. Now let's go over to Matthew's gospel, chapter 17, verse 14. And his version of this historical moment And when he had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him, saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and cast him out. And the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why couldn't we cast him out? So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief, for surely I say to you, that if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there. And it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now, Mark's gospel adds a, a few more details, and as he came down to his disciples in verse 14 of chapter 9. He saw a great multitude around them, and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? And then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. And so I spoke to your disciples that they cast it out, but they could not. And he answered and said to them, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you and bring him to me? And they brought him to him, and he saw him, and immediately the spirit convulsed him. And he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, well, from childhood. Uh, often he is thrown both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said to him, with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. And then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him, and he became as one dead, so that many said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come to the house, the disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind can come out by nothing but by prayer and fasting. So we can see, as we've deliberately taken the time to read these verses, uh, the richness of the story. And for whatever reason, we can see that Luke sort of cut it a little bit short, and that's okay for his purposes. I think it's important to understand the fuller picture and see uh, that this is an important story since all three of the Gospels record this. Um, You know, as I've mentioned before, talking about demons and possessed people is not really my favorite subject, (laughs) but... We are those who teach through the Bible. And so we have to cover all the topics and all the subjects if we're to give people the whole counsel of God. And so I think it's important that we equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Not We don't need to be intimidated by things we don't understand or don't know. We just need to learn and trust God with how he would use us. But here we have uh, the people really in the Valley of Unbelief, as I've titled The Message. And we, they've just come down from a mountaintop experience. Jesus, Peter, James, and John. And of course, Jesus is Mr. Even Keel, always, right? He never, he's just who he is. He doesn't get emotionally involved beyond what his compassion will allow him. He's balanced in everything. But mountaintop experiences uh, really do require little faith. Uh, it's because what we're experiencing normally is good, and so we're just happy with that. But when it comes to the valley experiences, um, our faith is often greatly challenged because of the unknown. You know, there. those of us who are from the north, and it doesn't really matter where you're from, if you're from the south, you're probably familiar with Niagara Falls. You know, it's a 180-foot drop. It looks really cool in the wintertime, by the way. If you're to look at pictures when it's frozen. But it's pretty... Much impossible to fall uh, that 180-foot drop and survive, but if you will travel upstream in a boat, uh, you'll find that the waters upstream are quite calm. And near the Well uh, Welland River uh, that dumps into the Niagara River, uh, there's a a sign planted there uh, by the pedestrian bridge that reads, "Do you have an anchor?" Question mark. You know how to use it. (laughs) Faith is like that, isn't it? It's like an anchor. We need to use it to avoid destruction. You can only avoid eternal destruction when you exercise faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And He, as the sovereign God, reserves the right to test our faith. He allows This fallenness that we're involved in, that we were born into, not by our choice, but by his sovereign will, to be born into this fallen world with a fallen nature. He's allowed us the privilege to become part of his family, those of us who have received Jesus, by faith. And now that faith will be tested to find out whether or not we will be loyal to him through the pain and the suffering. He said, in this world you shall have tribulations, but be of good cheer. I have overcome. So, our faith will be tested regularly, and we will learn the lessons to trust God more completely. We were created by God to enjoy Him, to be in awe and wonder of who He is. And it's through faith that we understand. We have the ability to grasp His character and His nature. So, exercising faith re- builds our character requires of us virtue and it calls us really to live disciplined lives and this this morning is really an account of faith you know as we've read there it only takes a little faith to do big things and as Jesus has come down and he's met this crowd and he's being surrounded by these people. And it's quite a dramatic scene, as we've read there. It it Really, uh, this must have made a big impression on Peter because Mark's gospel, who is believed to be the uh, author of that through John Mark, it must have left a pretty big impression on him because he gives us the most details of, of what really happened there. But it appears Jesus is disturbed by the fact that these crowds, the nation of Israel as well, uh, have not yet raised their faith to a higher level. Uh, he, think of John's ministry as the John the Baptist has come. He's announced that there were tremendous move of God, and a national repentance was underway, but only in part. And now he's been there nearly three years ministering to them, and all these miracles are taking place, and they're still having trouble believing. They're filled with unbelief, and he, as he reproves them, uh, with his words, and we see uh, through this passage here in Mark that uh, the nine disciples that remained down in the valley with the people were in an argument with the Pharisees uh, about this thing. No doubt, it was about this child that was possessed. That it was probably acting out in front of the crowd, and you know, it's embarrassing the parents and. The Father's just desperate. You can kind of just put yourself in that scene there. What do we do? How do we do this? The Pharisees are criticizing Jesus because they think he's already demon-possessed. And the disciples have probably tried to lay hands on him, all nine of them, probably holding this kid down and trying to deal with it, and nothing happening in that regard. And so when they see their failures, they just end up in an argument Unfortunately, this is sort of the picture of the church today, isn't it? We have people that are absolutely dying and hurting, struggling in life. And we have Christians that are arguing about theology. Well, you know, if the Pharisees were so right in all of their doctrine, why didn't they cast it out? And why couldn't the disciples? cast it out. I mean, Jesus had sent, previously sent these guys out, and they healed, and they cast out demons, but this particular one was, he's a big guy. He wasn't one of the lower level demons. He was the bigger guy, right? The appears. And Jesus explains it him, well, it's because of your faith. I think this is the state of the church when it comes to working in the supernatural. We just need to be open uh, And to trust God, my responsibility as a pastor is to not ignore these passages because it makes people uncomfortable, don't you know, that people don't want to talk about demons. See, we have them in our country, but actually that was way back in antiquity. In Jesus' time, there were lots of demons, but we don't really have them today because we have lots of, you know, technology. (laughs) I mean, all kinds of excuses on how this, you know, you know, frankly, you know why, how we deal with demon possession in our country? Many of you already know this. We just drug it. Yeah. Just lock them up and drug them. I have firsthand experience with that with, in a family member years ago. So I am quite aware of how it works. The Christian life, what God has called you and I to, is to illustrate That there's a God in heaven and that God can do impossible things through people. That's our work. That becomes our testimony. We're to trust God for great and mighty things. We're to call upon his name. And I thank the Lord for the way this is arranged in the Gospels for us. You know, living without faith is painful. There's those who are content to live without faith. They're content to live in pain. They're they're content to live in unbelief and just give it up. The results of unbelief is that people live in pain. And this is what was going on. (laughs) Which is harder. Harder to... Cast out a demon or argue theology? Well, first of all, you need to understand it's not we ourselves who are casting out the demon or binding the strong man. It is the name of Jesus. Some of you do keep up with what goes on in the military, some of you have military backgrounds. If you go to Area 51 in Nevada and some of these other places where it's highly restricted, one of the things that if you're taken into places um, where you have to see top-secret activities, one of the things that they have people sign and swear to is not to use the name of Jesus. Don't you find that rather interesting? That you're sworn to, no matter if you stub your nose, no, (laughs) stub your nose, stub your toe, (laughs) How do you stub your nose? (laughs) You can't use that name. Quite telling. There's a lot of things in this world that if the general public was aware of what really is going on, most of us would probably be in a mental institution. Because we don't really understand the dark side. We do not grasp the evilness of evil. As we know, Satan has come to steal to kill and to destroy. And he plays for keeps. And so you think this might be a nice little story. It's not a bedtime story because it's a little scary, right? But it is not just a nice story. It is here, it is written, because we have been left as his ambassadors to deal with these guys, to deal with these fallen evil spirits and understand the, the destructive forces behind them and how it destroys and destroys people's lives. But I think the first thing we need to glean from this is in Matthew's portion is how the Father approached the situation. Because it isn't in our name or by our personal being that these demons are cast out. How did this man come? How did he approach God? Same way we must approach God. It says that he was kneeling down we come to God in humility and brokenness. Lord, I can't do this, but I know that you can, and I believe in the power and the name of Jesus. It's approaching God with humility and earnestness that gets the work done. Praying, obviously, asking God for his mercy. Have mercy upon me. Now you notice here uh, how it's described. Uh, this has epilepsy in Matthew's gospel. Seizures. You know, he's severely afflicted, falling into the fire, falling into the water. I mean, Satan is really trying to kill this little guy. If that doesn't break your heart, when you see someone that's in bondage and afflicted by demonic forces, it it should fill you with compassion and care. But I see many Christians, let's just look the other way and go away. I like someone to say, Oh, he's just lost his mind. Well, why has he lost his mind or she lost her mind? There's something going on there that we can't see, and it needs to be addressed. Think about the list here that Mark gave us. Or he sees, he throws him into the fire. He foams at the mouth, gnashes at the teeth. If you've ever been, has anybody experienced that? Besides, I have experienced these things. In our mission trips. Luke, as we read there, it seizes him, convulses him. He foams. He it, the spirit clings to him. It bruises him. So what is Satan's work here? This is, these are tells. When we see these kinds of things taking place in people's lives, they get this is like, hello, a little bit of discernment here might be in order. Seizes him. It takes control. Like, whoa. We call, oh, well, let's just split personality or or this or that. We label it and we feel good about it. And that way we can sort of pigeonhole it and leave it alone. Then throw a drug at it or whatever, right? It convulses him, shakes him, violent, uncontrollable movements. It foams. This epi- in, uh, epilepsy it often is in the seizures. There's this foaming at the mouth. It's an agitation. There's that spirits, these spirits are angry, and they control. They cling. They come and go. And when they go, there's a. a a wretched. When, why do the demons scream when they're cast out? Which happens quite often, is because they are now being disembodied. That's why they seek to embody because they are disembodied spirits. Luke, I uh, think Matthew 12:42, I think, talks about that. Um, so they're looking for a host. They find a host, and then they, will, when they are cast out, they are disappointed that they'll. Be disembodied. And then, of course, the last phrase they're used in Mark or Luke's gospel is that they bruise him. Literally, it means to crush. And this is why I'm taking the time, because we're living in a culture that people are being crushed, their, their lives are being destroyed and ruined. It is, we, as the body of Christ, are show, to show this compassion and care about people, not to just blow them off because they're weird. Because they're doing weird things. Well, you don't know the damage that's been done to them by the devil. He's out to kill them. He's out to destroy them any way he can. The demons, all they do is use people. And then when they're, they discard them at death. You know, that's just the way it is. It's our job to intervene. I... I think this is as important because I see an attitude in the church that's bothered me for a number of years, and I was guilty of it for a number of years because I was intimidated by this, by this whole ministry. You know, I don't, didn't really understand it, and I still have a lot to learn about it, but I, I struggled with it. You know, We, Calvary Chapel, like any other church, you know, we preach the scriptures, right? We believe in the word of God. Well, what about the whole message? You know, we we'll preach the gospel, we'll lay hands on people and pray for them, but this demon ministry of casting out, well, I don't know. We'll just send them to the church down the street, let them deal with that, you know. Because it's uncomfortable. You know, that's one I think I love about the Bible. It is absolutely raw. It just it just tells it like it is. There's no whitewashing. David sins, Jacob sins, the People had their lives exposed, didn't they? <laughs> we all read about their failures. Well, that's the way it should be, you know. How loving it is to say that we preach the whole counsel of God and then we tell someone to go somewhere else to have their needs met. It's kind of hypocritical. First Corinthians 13, I just want to read this once again. We're, we're familiar with it. First Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. You're welcome to turn there. Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, and have not love, i become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, and have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. How loving is that to just send them away because we don't want to deal with them. So what I may say, as the scripture says here, what I may know, what I may have experienced, or what I may do, my works, if I don't have love, big zero in the eyes of God. In fact, that's how we'll be judged, how much love. How much love of God was really in our hearts so when pastors and spiritual leaders deny the faith in dealing with demonic manners, I take an issue with it. And I'm not judging them because I have been there. But I was convicted and brought under conviction and I wanted to deal with this. And I wanted to change my perspective. I wanted to be one who preaches the word and seeks to live the word of God, and not be hypocritical. It's offensive to me to hear them be content with sending someone down the road how does the dwell, word of the love of god dwell in you with that kind of attitude i have little regard for those who deny the ministry that needs to be taken uh, taken seriously especially those who are being tormented by the devil i'm not saying that pastors should pursue this ministry i'm not looking for demons behind every bush and I'm not going out into the culture, oh, I wonder if I can find any demon-possessed people around here. No, not that. talking about that. You've noticed that Jesus was just sort of going about his business, right? He was just ministering the word, and they came to him. And that's the point. When people come to you, there's a reason why God's brought them into your sphere of influence. And it's my responsibility, if they come into my sphere, to minister to them. And it's also yours. And you need to have confidence and faith because the least of us, those of us who consider ourselves the least in the kingdom, have enough faith to do what I'm talking about. Because it's not you doing it. It is the name of Jesus. It is the power of God because you're bold enough to say it and claim it and deal with it. Scripturally. You see, if we avoid the topic, I could just skip on to this. I don't really want to talk about that. Let's talk about something else. Really easy to skip it. And I want to do that because you're not going to be equipped and boldened to do the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry is not just for pastors and elders and deacons. I, do you understand the body concept? We are the body of Christ. We are members of one another. You might be the hand. Somebody's the foot, somebody's the ear. We all work together. Not everybody has the gifting to do everything in the body. But you need not be intimidated by this. You just need and we need to be filled with the love of God. And think about how, that's what I love about James. This is Jesus' half-brother, if you will. James 2.14 says, What does a prophet, my brethren, if someone says he has faith and does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one of you says, depart in peace, be warm, be filled, but he does not give them the things that are needed for the body, how does it profit? This, thus, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. There's a lot of dead faith in a church. Oh, I say I believe. But I can let someone who really is in need, just, eh, well, eh, will let them go down the street to the next church. They'll find out, Hopefully. Let me ask you this. Do you like taking out the trash? Do you like cleaning up messes? That's really kind of what this is. This is the, 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 the nasty stuff, the messy stuff. When people get open wrong doors, and they open up, if you will, like a Pandora's box, they will invite these demons in. It's destructive, and it creates a big mess, and lives are destroyed. And only Jesus can fix those lives. And it's our responsibility, if we care at all, to th- be there for them. So if we, in the future, it's not going to get easier in ministering this. But if people walk through those doors and they start acting out, are we going to flip out or are we going to act in love to try to help them? And this is what I'm trying to prepare us for I'm not, ex- hoping that, I'm not hoping this happens necessarily. I'm just saying I want to be prepared. I want you to be prepared. I want you to be shocked. I have no idea what God's going to do, but I know that there's a need for us to be available to him. And no, I don't really particularly care about, uh, like taking out the trash, but somebody has to do it, right? And that's really what we're doing. When we cast out a demon, we're taking out the trash, we're dealing with the darkness, and we need to have confidence in doing this. Why couldn't the disciples do it? Because of your unbelief. Because of the hardness of your heart. Wow. Here's, and I won't spend any time with this for time's sake, but you need, we need to understand our position in Christ. And this is Ephesians 1. If you're looking... Uh, Taking notes, you need to look this up. If nothing else, Ephesians one lays. Paul lays out the position of the believer. We are blessed. We are chosen. We are predestined to become like Him, fulfill His purpose. We're accepted. We're redeemed. We're forgiven. We're enlightened, and we're sealed. You understand, that is an incredible position. Amen. Blessed, chosen, predestined, accepted, redeemed, forgiven, enlightened, sealed. Did he leave anything out? I don't think so. Paul's prayer in that same chapter is for the knowledge of God, that God would give us wisdom, revelation, and understanding of what's going on. I think that includes the gifts of the Spirit. I need the discerning of spirits. I need to have discernment when some lying spirit comes in seeking to deceive my brothers and sisters. Oh, how we need the gift of discernment in the body of Christ today. You know, it's amazing. Not everybody tells the truth. Paul prayed that we would have hope in Jesus. He prayed that the church would understand the riches of our inheritance. God gave... Jesus gave his life for us. That saves us. How much more, Paul tells the Romans, shall he not impart his life to us now that he's alive again from the dead? The riches of our inheritance, the love and the mercy and the blessings. And then he adds power, exercising the authority as God's children, as his representative. That's what it means. We're, we're to image him. We are his ambassadors. We're doing what Jesus did. We're doing what we're supposed to do as those who are inhabitants of this planet. We're to do what God would do if he were here. Carry out his, the mission. You understand you're, you're children of loyalty. Oh, no, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Yeah, well, yeah, we are. But you're more than that. He's made us worthy. We are children, his children, his servants to do his will. And so Jesus rep- reproved their unbelief. I don't know about you, but I don't want to remain in the valley of unbelief. I don't want to see people tormented and r- lives ruined. And Jesus said, you faithless generation. Now, what an act- I don't want to hear those words from the Lord. You didn't believe me. You didn't trust me. Well, why not? What else do they needed to do to prove to you that I'm a trustworthy person? It's really sobering to hear these words, or is it not? Yes. A perverse generation. I think our generation pretty much we're depraved, we're morally corrupted, and we do not believe the word of God. Oh my Lord help us. And Jesus responds, How long shall I bear be with you in the sense that he's going to die and leave? But is he not saying it to us as a western culture church how long shall I bear with you how long too much is given much will be required so Jesus took care of the business he rebuked the demon he healed the son again it was their lack of faith and then a couple of them talk about fasting and praying. <gasps> that word. Don't use that word, fasting. It's kind of hard to deny the flesh, isn't it? You know, we're working hard every day. and Fasting is like my flesh cries out, what? I need calories. <laughs> but what fasting does, you can fast a lot of different things besides food and water and that kind of thing. But that is important. It strengthens our resolve to, and to say no to selfish interests. That's really what it does. It just strengthens the inner man. And so it's good for us to hear this. It's good for us to engage in fasting on a regular basis. And notice in one of the passages here, in Matthew, he talks about the mustard seed. This whole thing of little... Of all the seeds, the smallest of them all. Small, weak, and unclean, actually, is the mustard seed. He compares it to faith. So it's not the size of the seed that matters. It's the use of the seed. So if you put to use the little faith that we have, great things can happen. Nothing. Nothing is impossible with God. Amen. Nothing is impossible with God. Faith hears the inaudible. What you can't hear, faith hears. It sees the invisible, it believes the incredible, and it receives the impossible. When I see lives that are ruined, mended, I, I always come back to one of the young ladies, dear sister now, possessed, hearing voices, to kill herself. Over and over. Just couldn't carry a conversation, couldn't complete a sentence. And This, I've known her, had known her for a long time. But the use of drugs, subjected to open doors that should not have been opened. They came in. The demons were cast out. She began to be coherent, talk. She's actually very intelligent lady. She's very apt in computers, all that. She's now written a book of poetry healed in the name of Jesus. See, that's what happens. That's what happens when we trust God. I'm not sure how uh, this is being received. I trust that the You'll be emboldened and strengthened to be used of God in this area. But I just don't want you to be caught off guard. If, if, if somebody starts to act out, you go, you know, you read through these, you know, we've already gone through a third of Luke's gospel and there's already been several occasions and it's just part of the ministry of the gospel. And I know it might sound like I've got an ax to grind against other pastors and even some of them may be Calvary Chapel pastors who would downplay this. But I, it, it, look, I'm not condemning or judging anybody in that regard. We just need to repent and do the right thing for people. So if people come here and they act out, you guys are not going to be shocked and you're going to know what to do. I expect not everybody to run downstairs. (laughs) Probably a group of people to surround this person and lay hands on them and pray for them and they will be delivered. That's what I expect to happen now. So with that said, let's stand and close in prayer. You've been very patient with this subject matter. One final question. Do you have... An anchor, do you know how to use it? Is your anchor God? Are you anchored in him? Do you know how to connect with him? So that if something like that happens, whether you're at church or you're at the workplace, that you can take control of the situation in Jesus' name. Do you have that kind of faith? And if you don't, it's real easy to get it. Just tell the Lord, Lord, I don't have that kind of faith. Just like that poor father. Help my unbelief, right? Just all, And this is the wonderful thing about walking with Jesus. Whatever we lack, whatever we don't have, all we have to do is simply ask. Give me what I don't have. Use me, Lord. Please use me. Let me be a witness for you. Father, we just, again, take this moment to bow our hearts. I just thank you for the challenge that this subject matter, this topic has done for me in my life. And I don't want to come short. And I don't want to be a loving Lord. I want to be a loving, kind person that cares about those that are troubled those that have lost their way, those that have opened doors that they should not have opened and now are crying out to you, Lord. And I pray that you'd use the fellowship here, Lord, that you'd make every one of us a minister of the gospel, that we wouldn't play church, we wouldn't just be happy Christians, but we would be obedient servants to do your will. So bless my brothers and sisters, all of us today, Lord, Fill us with joy in believing your word. In Jesus' name, amen.